0: Good afternoon, Cheesy listeners. I'm Julie. And I'm Camille. And today we're talking about the shady backstory behind the holy cheeses we all know and love, Swiss cheese. Well, technically, Swiss cheese is not one cheese, but a category of many cheeses that come from Switzerland. Yes, precisely. Um, There used to be at least
1: a thousand varieties, if possibly more, of Swiss cheeses, but the industry produces around, today, around 450 different varieties each year.
0: Right. So tell me, C, what exactly is Swiss cheese?
1: What exactly is Swiss cheese? Well, we think about it in the U.S. as the cheese with the holes in it. I mean, I think that's what most people when they come to the shops say. I want some Swiss cheese. And you have to go Swiss cheese from Switzerland and Swiss cheese with the holes in it. Um, and, well, there's a big reason for why this is. Because the, because the, pre- the mentioning of Swiss cheese industry, as we just said before, produces over 400 varieties of cheeses per year. Mm-hmm. And the production is due to a long history of regulation and protection. In other words, the Swiss are very proud of the cheeses and they want the world to know about it. It's much whole cheeses.
0: By long history of regulation and protection, we're talking some shady stuff, but before we get into that, like other cheeses we've already talked about, it's very regional. Swiss cheeses are unique to Switzerland and there are some favorites that have really long stories behind them while others that are very new creations. What we know about the diversity of Swiss cheese is also relatively recent, since about the early 2000s. You all must be wondering, why do we know so little so recently?
1: Well, the answer lies in the story of the Swiss cheese
0: cartel. you want to talk about that? Yes, you can tell we're really excited about this, and (laughs) I'm ready to jump in. But right before we do that, let's just talk briefly about the very, very beginnings of Swiss cheese. As per usual...
1: um, with everything I think we talked about with cheese, Swiss cheeses are rooted in culture and tradition, as most foods in Europe are. And with that particular tradition in food, cheesemakers and the community that
0: surround them are highly respected and protected. Mm-hmm. Around the first century BC, Swiss cheese was referred to as the cheese of the Helvetians, who were the Gallic people from the Roman Empire occupying the Swiss Plateau at the time.
1: And the cheese is during the burgeoning period of swiss cheese making was mostly cottage cheese this happened in england as well which we talked about when we were um, going into stilton which makes sense because cottage cheese is the result of natural of milk that wasn't um difficult to preserve and we refer to this as assay coagulation which yes. is a technical term
0: it is term. a technical term and also keep in mind that they didn't have any fridges during this period of time to preserve all this dairy so they ended up just eating the spoiled cheese aka or yeah they ended up eating the cheese aka spoiled milk tasty spoiled milk a lot mm, of good course. things are spoiled
1: yes you know? yes and so around the 15th century when hard cheeses started to appear um the capacity for storing and preserving these cheeses were made possible with the discovery of the perfect aging environment which we like to call caves
0: or nature's cheese cellar.
1: Yes. So total side fact, fun fact, side note, side, side, side note, fun fact. It's um, my way of saying a fun side fact. Okay. When Napoleon's uh, troops uh, entered uh, Switzerland, um, they went to a hostel. So it was common for monks uh, next to the monasteries to have what they refer to as hostels, even though nowadays we think of hostels as where like young people go for cheap rent, but it's kind of the same concept. So the, this hostel in um, Gretzer-Bernard, uh, um, these monks had for eight, been a long time been preserving these cheeses, probably what we would think is Gruyere. And so the story goes is that Napoleon's army, they needed a place to crash, so they crashed at this, these monks' hostel, and they ate all their cheeses. Now, when I say that his army, I mean, it was like 40,000 troops. So they just like, wiped out the whole cave. And so in 1984, Francois Mitterrand, which, which is the uh, French president at the time, actually made a token of repayment back to Switzerland for all the cheeses they ate. So I think it's just kind of funny that um, a president in the, the 80s is like, sorry for my president many, many, many years ago, they ate <laughs> all your cheese.
0: I mean, it is so, sort of like anyway. a respectful thing. And also, you know what they say, it takes like two hours to make a meal and 20 minutes to eat it. And in this case, for cheese, it takes years to make a cheese. <laughs> and what, one it's meal for 40,000 troops to just um, eat all of it. Um, and yeah. during that time, Hungry men. <laughs> because 80% of the land was non-arable, it was used for livestock breeding. So as the cows were bred, they pooped naturally. Naturally. <laughs> and their poo helped fertilize the grass. So about by the, the 18th century, Swiss
1: Hill. yeah, yeah, and I just had an image of like rolling dogs, but I don't know why. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> well, because like you said, fertilize the grass, and if you have, if you're a pet owner, you probably know that dogs tend to like rub themselves in other things that's in the grass, crazy. and that's the image that popped to my mind. That's really inappropriate. But by the 18th century, uh, Swiss cheeses had not only developed and diversified vastly but it was beginning to be sold across all of Europe.
0: There was, you know, more of a trade between French and German and and Swiss cheeses. Exactly. And with this rapid expansion came the formation of the Swiss Cheese Union, or Schweizer Casa Union. Or what we've been saying, the Swiss cheese cartel.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, (laughs) it is Swiss cheese union,
0: aka Mm -hmm. Schweizer Casa Union, aka Swiss cheese cartel, was formed in 1914 when these cheesemakers banded together to form a union to control cheese production. And cheese production during this time was booming. Like it was going crazy, good and bad. Um, You have a lot of good cheese, a lot of good quality cheese, but nowhere to sell it. So with all this excess after World War II, the union made it so that there was no competition between the cheesemakers. Price fixing settled in, so did a monopoly.
1: A a really big monopoly, and that's where I would say that. Yeah, the cons you may be asking. Well, it meant a total narrowing down of what could be produced. So, in the beginning of this discussion, we said that there was probably something over a thousand plus different varieties of cheese. That was reduced to only seven. Really, that was only that was then further reduced to two two main main sellers uh, of Swiss cheeses that we as the US receive would be Emmentaler and Gruyere. Emmentaler or Emmental Both are apparently the right way of saying it um, So we call this Swiss cheese we know so well in America As the one with the holes Yeah so that's uh, Emmentaler is that Swiss cheese you think of with the holes But it actually has a name called Emmentaler um, And Emmentaler As a quintessential Swiss cheese Because of the cartel popularizing This particular cheese and controlling its production And telling us that this is Swiss cheese like, This is the standard of what Swiss cheese mm-hmm. tastes like
0: Yes Swiss cheese at the time had a particular particular look, like the holy look. This was it, and they were selling it everywhere. If you were a cheesemaker in the union and you made anything besides the big two or seven, if you were lucky and had all the permits for the extra five, making other cheeses was illegal. Unless you are a cheese rebel, Seth Bard Medler. Wait, what happens yeah, they got if you do? You, get, you got fined a like,
1: ridiculous amount, and I think if you got fined so many times, you would like, have to go to jail for a day
0: or something like that. It's, like, ridiculous. it's
1: ridiculous. This is yeah. all
0: about cheese. But, you know, they take their cheese very seriously, obviously. Um, and yeah. cheese... Rep- but it's also
1: kind of a smart marketing thing, because it's like, oh, Swiss cheese. So the cheese beholds in it, right? Like Look at France. France is so confusing because there's so many regions. different like I guess Brie is kind of focused on. But um, it's a good way to enter into, like, say, the U.S. market by saying,
0: yeah, if you can't remember, remember the cheese with the holes in it. Um, yeah, and then, but I would argue that the cons is that you lack variety, ultimately, and you're, like, stifling creativity with cheesemakers.
1: And then the other con now is trying to educate a new consumer that does not just mean Emmentaler, like, it's a lot of other cheeses out there. Uh, so there's negative. Yeah. But, you know, but we're talking marketing schemes of the 1950s, so... A whole different different genre, and a lot of things took a while to get imported and exported. So, yeah, I don't know. All right, it's kind of um, sorry, side side things.
0: Yes, um, but I'm going to go back to Cheese Rebel Seth, Bar Medler. He wanted okay. to make sprints. He calls it the Swiss version of Parmigiano quote, but not really because it's better unquote. So. He waited eight years for his application to be reviewed, only to be told, no, quote, you do not fit into the envisaged structures, end quote, whatever that meant. And so he quit trying to be a part of the union, made his other small format cheeses that nobody else was making, and sold them on the side independently to hotels and small restaurants, which is a huge deal. You're basically going against the mafia, the Swiss cheese cartel. For other rebels who weren't as successful, because they tried to do that while being in the Union, they tried to have their cake and eat it too, I guess, They're have their cheese and eat it too, their cheeses were banished to the vacuum-packed aisle of the grocery store, which was a huge diss during that time. But if you think about it, it still is a diss to like buy your cheese at the grocery store versus buying it at a specialty cheese store. But if back then the cheeses that people made that were different from the mainstream cheeses actually tasted better, grocery store cheeses might have been tastier. Two things here. One,
1: I'm not sure spritz is like Parmesan. Two, <laughs> it's interesting about the whole grocery store like ph- phenomenon because I think, again, this is a cultural difference between Europe and the U.S. Because if you go to grocery shops, like even mainstream grocery shops in Europe, you will still... Not always. You would tend to have like an actual cheese counter with someone who has to cut the cheese for you. Mm. So it's kind of interesting, this idea that you have like grocery-packed vacuum cheeses must mm. be bad. Because in the States, it is. We do have that definition of, like, you don't go, you go to a specialty shop. Yeah. But in Europe, you can also go to a specialty shop that's been there for who knows how long. You could also go equally to a market and still get really good stuff. So I'm not sure how, how that, let's say, worked in a European context. Um, or if it did affect, but it definitely created an impact here, I think, in the States. Like there is a there is a, a, a stereotype of you don't buy your cheese at the grocery shop. But I wonder if it's kinda of changing though, slowly. You're getting fancier grocery shops coming around. That's
0: true, specialty
1: um, grocery shops. But even some of like the big exactly. <laughs> but even some of like the bigger grocery shops carry um, even I feel like Cypress Grove has really Marketed themselves to be in a type of environment, and so you get kind of that packaging already. So I, I just—it's—I like, don't know. I'm not sure if that's something that's like going to evolve with time, or if just the industry is evolving, and then the whole concept of stereo-packed sliced will go away. But it's there. Oh, anyway, Those are my two points that I kind of thought about when you were talking about discs or non-discs mm-hmm. um, and parmesan. Mm-hmm. Just spritz—I'm um, not saying it right. Spritz or sprints. It's a really hard cheese.
0: It's a little Sometimes bit not drier not than Parmesan, par. and I don't think it melts quite as well as Parmesan. It's the one it's cheese not, that
1: we had an email go throughout the whole shop about how to properly cut because we were we couldn't cut through it. It's it a was so phase.
0: hard; the <laughs> wire would break every time we would try to cut it, yeah. and then we would need to use this giant like two-handled knife to sh- to split it in half and risk cutting off our faces. It's just a saying. But it's yummy cheese. Totally recommend
1: it. Um, So with a huge deal going back with the cartel, I mean, they were just in control. They pretty much ran like cheese related, as Julius mentioned. And they had um, they had the power to do their own rules, which was funded by the government through subsidies out of which a um, lot Swiss payers paid out of pocket. So if we go back to the 50s and 60s, when the cartel was faced with like, an overwhelming amount of cheese, because they had too much of it somehow, they needed to come up with a new marketing strategy. So they looked to their themselves and said, what are we known for? The Alps. Um, and seriously, that's like where the whole push of fondue and rat clap became really popular, because... Fondue and raclette were pretty regional, traditional dishes that you only experienced when you went to the Alps. Um, but Switzerland wanted to make those dishes the, nat- the national dish of Switzerland. So you can just imagine um, Swiss people huddle around in the cabin around a yellow pot of fondue that's steaming and is delicious, and they have wine. They're all happy. Um, you can even go online and look up uh, fondue 1970s. You'll see all these like hilarious very retro pictures of selling fondue pots. Uh, I'm pretty sure my grandmother had a fondue pot. I've gone to estate sales with fondue pots everywhere. It was just like, a cool, it was like the socialite thing you did in the 70s. And that all comes down to the Swiss cartel scheme to make sure that you buy more Swiss cheeses.
0: Exactly. Which is kind of brilliant. The cartel campaigned for fondue and raclette to be the national dish after it was a regional dish only in the Alps. And it spread beyond Switzerland you see that, like Camille said, your grand your, your grandma probably has a fondue pot and she'd nev- she's never been to Switzerland, you know? And in fact, I think Raclette right now is trending on social media, which I, I would never have known if I didn't see um, this like BuzzFeed or clickbait article about it. And then a customer came in and told me the other day, that everyone she knows won't stop talking about something like a cheese that's melting and bubbling, being scraped off onto bread, and she was like, what is that? And I had to tell her, it's raclette cheese, and we have it right there next to her. And she was so excited because she thought it was something you could only find, you know, in Europe. But we have it right here, and it's something that cheesemongers like Camille and I see every day, so it doesn't really seem out of the ordinary, but also, that shouldn't take away how delicious it is oh
1: yeah it's delicious it's delicious but it's funny because before before doing this and actually, well, actually not even before that um sarah who's kind of like our in-house chef and for all of Venetian shops but she also cheese monger and uh, del mar uh, she is just love experimenting with making different types of fondue recipes mm-hmm. i always thought you had to have a fondue recipe with only Swiss cheeses as, like, Gruyere and Emmentaler or whatever. And you, you really don't. You could just experiment with milk, milk cheeses that well. Um, but it's kind of made me think about this customer that came in who was what's that cheese? I can only get it, you know, you can only get it here, which is awesome. But it's also f- we can also get so many other unique cheeses at the same time. It's, it takes time for people to become aware that there are so many cheeses out there, mm-hmm. but something like Instagram, I think it's really helped to blossom people's awareness because now you know if you didn't see before and exactly. then figure out like, who has this or yeah. can you make, like we have a client who is obsessed now with one of Sarah's fondue that's made out of um, the a cheddar. And I forgot what else she puts in there. She has like a special recipe and, that's the only cheese that he buys now because it was in that fondue recipe. So it's just, it's a lot about just, like, communication with mm-hmm. customers and on the internet and creating delicious, yummy things through cheese. But I guess we have to kind of thank the Swiss cartel for making it popular. Exactly. <laughs> I No, know. But anyway, but. But that doesn't mean it doesn't go unnoticed. So definitely Swiss people and even the Swiss government were um, starting to see that there was definitely allocation of resources going to the Schweizer Kassel Union to a point that more money was being sent to this union than it was to their own Swiss army. And I know Swiss army isn't huge, but I think it's kind of funny that you see more money going to a cheese union than than its own military. So subsidies definitely took Took a huge part of the government budget, and that was starting to weigh on the government. So by somewhere between the seventies to the nineties, um, the the government was like giving huge amounts of money to the kisser Union uh, for. And, and it wasn't really until 1990, 1999, which, 1999, I'll repeat that one more time, almost 85 years after the Swiss cheese union was created, um, did it actually eventually fold because it, there were so many allegations about laundering of activity within the union that they couldn't keep it all together, that the, the government said, that's it, you're shutting down, you're done. Yeah. And that's it. So it took to, the, to 1999 for it to have no power, just like overnight.
0: Right. And this marked the start of a new era in cheesemaking in Switzerland. So even though the government was still subsidizing dairies and farmers, there was no more union. Prices were not fixed. And so competition started to get really high. And if you remember Seth Barmedler, Cheese Rebel, Mm -hmm. once the cartel fell, he was way ahead of the game in terms of variety and consistency of different cheeses that You know, all these cheesemakers for 85 years, they've been making two cheeses. Now they have to catch up on learning how to make different cheeses because of the competition. Um, He started selling his cheeses globally and was like a huge success. And so another
1: big, I wouldn't not as well. Well, now he's well known now. But another cheese rebel is Rolf Uh He's also a really important figure in spreading Swiss cheeses. He does a lot more, maybe the mainstream cheeses, but he does side stuff as well. Um, sometimes he's referred to as oftener King. He's very highly regarded. Uh, Offenuring or offeneur is a, it's more of a, a professor of cheesemaking. that's the person who oversees the entire agent process from the beginning to the end to ensure the cheese. And cheeses are made, uh, are ready for sale and consumption. They're like a really big deal in Europe. And then you have a grater. It's like this whole like process that comes through. But some of the cheeses that Beeler matures or he considers his babies are Gruyere, Spritz, Naft Burger Kaza, Togenburger um, he has more, and and he he really has a whole ethos about how he wants to do his cheeses. Beeler has a PhD specifically on how to age these cheeses only; <laughs> these are like his thesis. And of course, for the cheeses he ages, he puts his name he puts his name on them, meaning. People buy his shoes because of him. Top restaurants around the world, um, around the world, will have us um, buy his shoes directly from him because of the level of quality. So the values that he cares for, it's the importance of local water with dense mineral balance, um, using. Local cows, local grass, raw milk, terroir. This is really the course entire cheese making process. It's unique sometimes because he's also experimenting with different buttermilk and yogurt, and different types of animal rennet. Um, he he's been doing this for over forty years. His reputation is really renowned. Um, he's and he's known in the restaurant industry a lot. So you see a few of these unique figures. Um, in the very beginning, the early 2000s, we were able to skyrocket because of what Julie said. There was not much competition. Mm-hmm. So there was only a few people who happened to be doing the stuff they love. And it was like, thank goodness. Now I can do
0: what I want thing. to make. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's, but it's, that's changing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's no surprise that chefs and cheese aficionados will scour the globe to import the world's best cheeses. Because we can do that and we have the means to do that now. But I'm with Rolf Beeler on valuing what we have locally. When Swiss immigrants came to the U.S., they brought with them their traditions of cheesemaking, just like the Basques, and everyone else, really, who came to the U.S. One of my favorite examples of this is Pleasant Ridge Reserve from Upland's Cheese in the Driftless region of Wisconsin. It's made- Did you say you have a friend? Yes. Over that area? Yeah. So I have two friends who live in the Driftless region of Wisconsin. The name is just magical and I think it's like a region of Wisconsin that still has um, mountains and valleys all around it. So it's perfect for agriculture. Mm -hmm. My friends Skye and Dylan are starting a farm right now. It's super exciting. They're like my age and a little bit older. Um, And yeah, it's the perfect place to do that. I asked them about Pleasant Ridge Reserve and Skye said it was one of her favorite cheeses there. So look, she's supporting local cheesemakers. Even more local than where we are right now. So, hi Sky, hi Dylan. Um, (laughs) The (laughs) cheese, back to the cheese, it's made with summer milk. It's made in the months of May through October, grass-fed, raw milk with a natural washed rind. And it ages from 10 to 14 months, and the extra-aged version goes up to 15 months. If awards mean anything to you, this is the most awarded cheese in American history. So let's stroke it. Which I have to say, that's,
1: I think that's really impressive because the ACS, ACS isn't very old. And for to, I mean, it's like over, I guess, 20 years now. But still, it's pretty new. And to have a cheese win that many awards, and it's not really, they're not, they, Pleasant Ridge Reserve, I don't think they're, I think they're, they went 10 years that they started, 10 years ago. Or no more than that, or whatever. The time doesn't matter, but it's a it's a big deal. The fact that they've won that many awards for this one cheese. That they, they only make. make
0: two cheeses, by the way. Yeah. So fifty percent of what they make has won this many awards. Um, it's won best in show in the American Cheese Society Championships or comp- competition three times. So two thousand one, two thousand five, and two thousand and ten. And they've won the championship of the U.S. cheese. Um. They were the winner of the U.S. Cheese Championship in 2003. And so this is the only cheese in U.S. history to have won both national cheese championships. Um, Yes, again, if awards don't mean anything to you, this is a delicious cheese. From my personal experience, it is a little bit sweet and savory. A little umami because of the washed rind. And it is so easy to pair with a crisp fruit, like an apple and pear. Um, and I think Camille suggests pairing it with a dry... What did like
1: you- a dry white wine. A dry like a, white. You could do a Pinot Grigio or a Chevrolet, but it, it's delicious. Also, the other cheese that I make is equally as delicious. Um, I know I feel like in every episode I say, this is my favorite cheese. But I really, like, I seriously, it's the bottom Reserve. of my heart. Rush Creek Reserve is probably one of my favorite cheeses. Um, and it only comes during the winter holiday, so we'll have it next in year. It's in the oh, well, style of
0: Vacheron Montdor, which is a goozy Uzi- gooey cheese wrapped in spruce bark it's oh so so delicious and the fact that we have it made locally in america is very very cool if you can get I, your hands on rush creek reserve do it and you'll thank us later so
1: the reason why we're going back to the states is just showing you how influence of swiss cheeses has made awesome cheeses here in the states as um, we talked about how the bass came over to the us and yeah. and just how immigration has always influenced the u.s when you came to making awesome foods but uh yeah so with that we're going to talk a little bit about some of our shops our shops favorites because we surprise we always carry a really unique selection of alpine style cheeses um especially at del mar we just really like alpine style um german and swiss cheeses and, and some french but particularly swiss uh you know being made in their own land and doing awesome things uh the fact that we have the option to import like these unique stellar cheese makers straight from switzerland is fantastic and so some of our favorites which we some of the favorite classics greer and emmental of course but also lesser known cheeses like white blumen and hornbacher so we're about to get a little curdy and a little nerdy so grab mm-hmm. your notebooks if you want you have to and learn a little bit more about these cheeses with us because we're excited to talk about them so i guess first off is greer the famous greer uh, quick history it's a pretty it, it, Goes. Uh, I guess the earliest production is one thousand one hundred fifteen um, A.D. and it's the district of La in Freiburg, also the cantons of Vaud and Neuchâtel and Jura. So very cl- the border where Switzerland and France meet, kind of where Gruyère is hanging out. It was granted the AOC um, status recognition in two thousand and one. Which again, you're going to start seeing some more of these um, heritage stamps. Come in the early 2000, and this is because of the fact that Swiss cheese cartels no longer in carteling, uh, and then Gruyere also got the AOP status in 2011. So, the difference between AOC and AOP is that AOC is recognized on a national level, AOP is recognized throughout Europe and on an international level. So, it's like a little higher level. Um, in Italian wines, you'll see that too. You see DOC and you'll see DOCG. It's just like a getting more. More status, more points for your mm-hmm. level of dedication. Eighteenth um, and nineteenth centuries, immigration to Freiburg was growing, so this was leading Greer to become a more um, popularized and traded item. Cheese has uh, often been a commodity that's been traded. We saw this with Stilton. We were learning about blues, so more trading of Gruer meant more imitations of that type of style because of its popularity. So, around nineteenth century, campaigns to structuring trade and Um, Acquiring a protection status began. And yes, this is where there are still fights between Comte, which used to be called Guerre of Comte, and Guerre. as Gruyere, they are completely different cheeses. I think you would agree with me, Julie, that mm-hmm. Comté and Gruyere are not the same. Yes. But there was been there was long arguments where the French wanted their Comté to be called Gruyere, and then Gruyere is like, no, it's our Gruyere, and blah 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 blah. I mean, you know, again, 19th century, there probably wasn't a, 18th century. There weren't a lot of regulations for who owned property rights and stuff. But they are not the same thing. You can sometimes substitute them in recipes, but they're not the same cheese. No, not at all. Now, uh, one's drier. I find Comté drier and Gruyère a little bit creamier. Yeah. So, how it's made? Uh, named after Grierians in Canton of Freiburg, uh, it has to be, because it's an AOC product. It has to have raw milk and has to be heated in ninety-three degrees Fahrenheit. It, it uses a liquid animal rennet, and its curds are cut into small pieces. The smaller, the more close structure the cheese has. This is because they um, the whey is released every time the curd is cut curd is then heated up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. It's raised quickly to 130 degrees Fahrenheit, and then the curds start shriveling up. This is a sign to put the curd into its mold, mold for pressing. Wheels are salted in a brine for around eight days, then ripened at room temperature. They age for at least three months. But we at the shop sell to 20 months. So it's also that Gruyere, they're huge 40 pound wheel cheeses. Um, they can age from, they, you know, from three to a year to possibly two years so they have a whole variation of different um taste profiles that go throughout and i love beer in a grilled cheese sandwich um we sell it in the shop I, the grilled cheese sandwich is red onion um, jam which is fantastic and it tastes good with honey it tastes good with beer it tastes good with eggs it's used a lot in recipes because of the fact that it's such a good melter, but it has such a strong flavor exactly. uh, you can't you can't really go it's not There's nothing to diss about. It's a good cheese. It's delicious. So I'll stop talking about Gruyere.
0: A lot of something you'll notice with a lot of these um, Alpine Swiss cheeses that we talk about today is that they're very good at melting and very good for cooking. So the next cheese I'm going to talk about, we're going to get a little bit nerdier with, is Emmentaler. The recipe originated in the M River Valley in the canton of Bern from around So it's a little bit younger than the Gruyere recipe. Um, And it's made as a 36-inch in diameter wheel with a 6-inch width. The raw cow's milk is heated in huge copper kettles before it's formed into wheels and set aside to age for at least 4 months. With the 4-month one, you get the classic Emmentaler. The 8-month one, you have a reserve Emmentaler. And for the 14-month you have premier crew which is super fancy. Ooh. So regarding <laughs> the holes because that's what is on everybody's mind, there was a paper mm, published holes. in 1912 by Dr. <laughs> William Mansfeld Clark. He's a chemist who put forth that who put forth this notion that bacteria in emmentaler are the culprits for these carbon dioxide holes that form the cheese paste. And in recent years there's updated theories that has been elaborated upon by this researcher for the Wisconsin Center of Dairy Research called, his name is John Jagi. The next culprit is hay, and he, discuss, he he describes this process as heterogeneous nucleation. So if you think about rain and how rain forms, water particles gather around dust particles, and that's how a droplet A drop of rain is formed. And so the same concept happens with the cheese. The holes form around these hay particles because the hay particles are already like wedged into the paste and it creates a tiny little gap, a tiny little hole for these bacteria to nestle in. Um, The particles, really, it doesn't have to be hay. It could be anything from a dust particle or anything that's floating in the air. The reason in the why environment, why yeah. Exactly. The reason why I say hay is because cheese is often made in barns, and um, there's a lot of, you know, hay particles in the air. And, like, later we're going to talk about hoiblumen, and that is made with pressed hay onto the surface of the cheese. So that one's definitely because of hay particles, but... The particles compromise the structural integrity of the interior paste, leading to tiny gaps where these bacteria can start to form the holes. And the cheesemakers have long suspected that it was due to hay um, because the more mechanical cheesemaking has gotten, the less holes they've noticed in their cheeses, and this is because there's more sterilized containers, sterilized surfaces for cheese to be made, thus less dirty particles in the air that gets into your cheese. The bacteria eats the lactic acid in the milk and it produces acetate, propionic acid, and carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide is the one that creates the holes and the acetate and propionic acid give the cheese a delicious, sweet, nutty flavor. So if that was all too long for you to listen through, the holes are pretty much a visual representation of bacterial farts. The bacteria eats the lactic acid the way carbon it. dioxide and little holes <laughs> appear like that's just easiest to remember um and you can enjoy this obviously with a grilled cheese um drizzled with honey or pair it with a nice chablis yeah. it also doesn't discriminate that means that cheese with holes is
1: anywhere where cheese is made yeah <laughs> which is just so fascinating um and that makes, it makes sense. It's a good time to talk about Hoi Blumen. Yes. Um, this is a, a lesser-known lesser known cheese. Where, this is a lesser-known cheese. Um, this is where we started doing like, smaller production cheeses and getting away from the traditional, well-known Swiss cheeses. But Thomas Stalman, second-generation cheesemaker, uh, out of um, a creamery called Kasseri Stoffel, Located in Unterwasser, the region of St Gallien. Um, this area in general is is a historical region for dairy making in Switzerland. So the cheese is aged around ten months and it's covered with alpine hay, uh, made with raw cow's milk. So what Julia was saying about um, you, you know hay and and the release of bacteria having carbon farms, uh hoy <laughs> bloom is definitely being exposed because the exterior of the cheese is uh, pressed with uh, hay. That is in the region, so it's 1995. um, That's how long the cheese has been around. Get exported to way later. This is one of those cheeses that were just made for like personal consumption. Uh, Was it only uses organic milk, milk, and it's a local alpine grass at 900 meters, and they spread and they. They eat well. So Kazari Stoffel is a big producer of Swiss cheeses. They have over 30 types of cheeses. They were established in 1983. And now they're run by the son, Thomas Stadelman. And they own 13 dairy farms. They're very into their cows. And the reason they're so into their cows, and the reason this could be why um, alpine cheeses melt so well, is that they're... Hoiblumen has a really high uh, butterfat content. It's 55% compared to beer, which is 45%. Um, g- goudas or goudas tend to have also... Powders. um does 48% butterfat. So this is 55% is really high. And I think there's something to do with the fact that it's such a high butterfat content. It melts better because of those... Um, Protein structures and in, in the fat, mm-hmm. but it's also what gives this cheese such a unique and um, grass, very grassy, very hay barnyard. Because so, how the cheese is made is that it's organic milk and it's heated in copper vats, and you'll see this very uh, common to make alpine style cheeses. They use copper vats. If there's something that happens with the reaction of using copper with um, the 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 the, la- the milk, the, the lactose, and everything. So. Um, you add rennet and culture, you cut the curds, you, you form it, you press it, and then the pressed curds are soaked in a brine for about 24 hours and, and to expel more whey. You want less liquid in, in your um, cheese. You want a more concentration of the curd, the protein. And the rind, you um, within 24 hours, you start forming a very really quick rind. So it's at this stage where it's aged for two months, and, and then there's a coat of hay, and I'm pretty sure it's second- second cut because of how vibrant and green that hay is second mm-hmm. cut hay tends to be a, a a richer denser quality of hay and so it's pressed out on the rind um julie has a theory that there's like
0: a special recipe to I, how to get I that hay I don't have pressed a theory I know rind. this I know this I just don't know what the theory is he has a very secret method to keep the hay from falling off the cheese with other cheeses like think about outblossom whenever we cut it oh, yeah. the flowers just it fly flies everywhere it's a big mess <laughs> it's a delicious cheese but for Hoi Blumen, whenever we cut it, there's no mess at all. It's like a it's perfect thin layer that's stuck yeah. directly onto the rind. And I have no uh, idea what he does. It's definitely not just from the stickiness of the of the wash.
1: Yeah, and, and this is what I would call a full round um, terroir type cheese. Because mm-hmm. when you eat it, I, I, eat, I eat the rind because I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm in a barn. I'm turning into a cow. But it's like you really taste all of that. But this cheese has holes. It's a small, small-shaped cheese, not these big Emmental or Gruyères. And so, I think what the evidence that Julie was was talking about how holes are formed. I mean, this is a pretty good example of there's still holes in this cheese that is made with hay on the outside. So, hello, I think it's kind of put the two together there. But. Um, it's, it's just a delicious it's very almondy kind of um Alman. texture it's a um, sweet yeah almondy uh pear is fantastic with um summer stone fruit it's great again anything it's, if you like wines um it's really good with a crisp dry wine but you could probably also do something a little go on the sweeter end mm-hmm. uh if you like that too and it's also good with ales and a little, um, stronger beers um especially belgium style beers it goes mm. pairs well it's a good pairing cheese it's also unique if you want to go and you want to be that awesome person not that you already aren't awesome um at your cheese party <laughs> bring a cheese like this because people don't you it's a good way of educating like wow yeah. this is from switzerland you're like yeah we they make really beautiful stuff and it's also delicate
0: yes. um and that's gonna to lead to another awesome cheese that is oh, I think my current favorite, Hornbacher. We had this when I first started working last September, but we haven't gotten it in until just a couple weeks ago and it is flying off the shelf. It is made by Michael Spiker or Spicher in Fritzenhaus Dairy in the Emmental Valley. He's very, very close to his dairy farmers, so close that in 2013, they helped build him a cheese cellar. So this, is there's awesome. this like symbiotic <laughs> relationship between milk dairy farmers and cheese maker, and I just think that that's so lovely. It's made exclusively from raw summer milk and aged for 12 months. You enjoy it by just eating a giant slab of it, or or obviously grilled cheese, but the the fun thing about this cheese is that it tastes like buttered roast potatoes and broth, and so, like, it is I think the most umami balanced tasting cheese I've had recently, and I am now a hardcore Hornbacher grilled cheese fan. I will have nothing else <laughs> between che- between two pieces of buttered bread again. Wow. For now. You know, I'm, I, I changed my mind. We obviously have like a billion favorites on this show, but. Yeah. For that now. that like is my favorite. Like, this is my favorite. <laughs> this is my favorite for now.
1: Uh, and I really want to have like a grilled cheese sandwich. Um, so I need bread. I don't think I have any bread in the house. I
0: think <laughs> we should end this bath. thing so we can go make ourselves a melty I cheese yourself, I think we should make ourselves.
1: I think if you're listening, you should make yourself a grilled cheese sandwich. Go right because, now. Because. Go right now. Right now. I right know. Or have fondue. Either way. <laughs> Do something. Or raclette. Okay. So, or raclette yes so um right i think as always if you think we've missed any
0: something in the show or you would like us to talk about something further let us
1: know please let us
0: know we really appreciate it all your comments thoughts questions concerns cheese related you know little things even if you just want to talk to us about something pick our minds email all of that to info so we can address them all at the next segment of the dairy maidens
1: here from Specialty Produce Network in San Diego, we wish you a happy Tuesday. And please, for your own sake, eat, eat more, more cheese.
0: cheese. Hi, fellow cheese lovers. Cheese whiz Gina here, and I invite you to subscribe to our Noon on Tuesday podcast to hear all about cheese all the time. You can listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or subscribe via feed burner under Noon on Tuesday. You can also watch us live every week on Facebook at Benissimo Cheese at, you guessed it, Noon every Tuesday, Pacific Time. We're fun, we're cheesy, so tune in and tell your friends to tune in too. Ciao!